0: This is an ABC podcast. I've been a married mum, a single mum, and I've worked with so many merged families. Co-parenting, regardless of your circumstances, takes lots of navigating and negotiating. We reflected a lot on our own childhoods and the way our parents parented us and the different styles, and we chose what we liked out of that and what didn't resonate with us. And we've always been fairly on the same page, which is lucky.
1: My wife and I separated when my son was three. It was difficult, but we've been happily separated ever since. And we've worked it out really well without actually communicating with one another at all. I work full time and sometimes I feel like I miss out because I'm not around as much as my partner is. And sometimes I can come in at the end of something and not have
0: the background and feel like I wasn't there to be part of that opportunity to understand each other and grow.
2: My ex and I separated when my daughter was about three years old. We agreed to do one week on, one week off, which is what we did right up until when she finished Year 12. He and I both have very different I mean, we're just so different. That's the reason we broke up. (laughs) But happily, she has, at now nearly 19 years old, she says that she just sort of cherry-picked the best of both worlds.
0: I'm Maggie Dent, and in this episode of Parental As Anything, we're going to explore co-parenting in the many different family dynamics that your children are growing up with and how you can make life as peaceful as possible for your kids, whether you can or you can't. Rely on your co-parents to do the same. Co-parenting is something I know lots of families struggle with. Trust me, it's not just you. We all have different parenting backgrounds. Some of us were raised in rural areas, some in city areas. We have cultural differences. We have age gaps. We all have our own opinions on what is best. Now, someone who has lots of advice on this is parenting author and family therapist, Susan Stiffelman. Susan, how do we prepare for co-parenting
3: when we get together with someone? I love that question because you and I both know, having done it, being further down the road, that the concept of raising a child and the reality are very different. <laughs> sure. Uh. <laughs> I like what you said about the fact that we all come from different parenting backgrounds. I think that the best conversation that expecting parents can have, or, or parents who already have children, but maybe they see that they're a little bit out of sync and getting more so every day, is to very respectfully and lovingly have a conversation about their respective childhoods. What are the patterns and the behaviors and the attitudes of their own parents when they were little, when they were growing up, that they want to hold on to and they want to bring into their own parenting life now that they're adult? And what are the things that they they want to you know, do differently? And then if somebody says, you know, you said that we weren't going to give our kids treats or we weren't going to cave in and here you are doing the very thing you said you wouldn't. There's just more of a gentleness and more of a kindness as as the other parent might say, you know what, I did intend to do that and I see myself doing the very same thing my parents did or I see myself going in the opposite direction because there's a part of me that really wants to give my kids what I didn't have. Our
0: perception of Parenting is only our perception and that's a really important thing to think. We're not another person's is not necessarily wrong, it's just different. You know, the good cop, bad cop, we do know that we that sometimes one parent might be just looking like they're too hard on the kids and the other one is being criticized or judged for being too soft. So how do parents in that situation find a middle ground and, and is it a really bad thing or
3: not? I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's human nature. There are some families I've worked with where the parents are pretty much in lockstep. They're pretty synced up on, on some of the big issues like homework and bedtime and screen time and diet and sweets and those sorts of things. But I I would say more often than not, there's some variation and kids are are flexible and they're very adaptable. And of course, they're going to figure out which parent is the one to go to when they want to you know, stay out late.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are some of the non-negotiables? We obviously can have that middle ground. What are some of the non-negotiables that we really think are helpful for parents to really agree
3: on? One of the non-negotiables, just because it leads to so much insanity and exhaustion, is um, bedtime and sleep. Where is this child going to sleep is a great issue for parents to find some agreement on. And they can certainly, you know, discuss it at length and get support and counsel. Another one I wish parents would agree on, although it's not very common, is screen time. It really helps everyone um, in the household when parents have a general agreement on what the guidelines and limits and times are for that. Diet, I'm a little bit more flexible on. Homework, I can be a little bit more flexible on. You know, one parent might think that the kids should do it right after they get home from school, and another might feel they should play outside. And frankly, I don't think that's a problem when, when depending on which parent is in charge, the child learns that sometimes they do homework right away, and sometimes they get to play outside depending on who's watching them. There should be a set of values that the family adopts, and that those are uniformly instituted. So whether it's you know, speaking harshly or putting children down or spanking, all of those things, it's really valuable for the children and, of course, the parents to get on the same page around. When one parent has a, an approach where they're putting kids down or shaming or screaming, it's not going to work because it will violate something very deep for the other parent who might find that objectionable, who, who might really see that their children are being negatively impacted by that. Let's go from
0: that to when the relationship may have broken down and kids are now living between two homes. So how can separated parents make it work amicably, Susan?
3: I don't think anything will grow you up like raising a child with someone That you once loved and thought you would spend your life with and you are now separated or divorced and raising that child. The defining thing in how a child fares after divorce is whether the parents get along whether they're respectful and supportive and kind to one another. Kids are really
0: okay with living in two houses or that mum and dad aren't together as long as they aren't mean to each other and also don't interrogate them afterwards and also reassure it's not their fault. I think that's
2: really, really important. We've been under a court order relating to the coming and going of the kids since they were probably three and a half and five over time, I've had to learn to be fairly careful about what I say. I don't tend to actually speak to him a lot. We tend to communicate through texts and emails. Even then, I do have to be quite controlled with um, with how I how I respond to him. If any responses are not to his liking, he'll quite often barrage
1: back at me. We never really had any differences in terms of our parenting. So that's not really an issue. But the way we live is quite different. I'm finicky. um, She's sort of free-flowing, I'd put it that way. Um, I'm very active and she's very crafty. So there are differences, but they're complementary as far as I can see them. And I suspect she views it the same way. Each
2: house had separate boundaries altogether. For example, I would let her watch The Simpsons when she was seven years old um, and he thought that the Simpsons were wildly inappropriate. So we would have these roaring arguments about things like that. One big argument that we had at one point was over which school she was going to go to. Uh, that was a doozy. Um, we ended up going to mediation over that. that was when when we had an argument that was so great we couldn't resolve it ourselves, we went to mediation. So we probably went three times during the course of our parenting. I recently had a
0: mum who had been separated from the father of her son for two years, expressing her concerns about the lack of routine, the late nights, the endless junk food. How do, we, how do we bring us all onto the same page for the good of children?
3: In an ideal world, when parents are behaving with their child's best interests at heart, they will recognise the value to the children of being more or less on the same page more or less complying with the same rules and routines because it's just what's best for children this is what we do you have to brush your teeth at mommy's house at your house with mommy and your house with daddy it doesn't change you still have to do homework at both of your houses and you still have to take out the trash and you know you all of those things are consistent because really that's best for kids. It's actually about putting children at the center of it,
0: isn't it, Susan, rather than our own selves. But it's not easy when you're when you're a little bit hurt and angry. And it's not
3: always going to happen that way. So in many situations, sadly, one parent does not want to be told by the other how to parent. They don't want to be parented by their former spouse. (laughs) They feel constantly judged and criticized. It can play into some of the circumstances that led to the separation in the first place. Those things can get acted out with the kids getting caught in the crosshairs. What I suggest with parents is that when the other parent is doing something that you feel very strongly is not in the best interest of the children, let's say that they're letting them watch really frightening movies or stay up very late, it's still important to start the conversation with respect. You know, Tommy was saying that he got to watch, you know, Nightmares from Hell the other night. And I was curious about how that went. And, you know, I'd love to hear what your thinking had been. So even though you might be... squirming and thinking, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that he let them watch that movie or she let them watch that movie. If you can start out with respect and say, can you help me understand your thinking on this? They will be more likely to be receptive to your view, to your opinion. If you begin a question with the word, why, why did you do this? You're guaranteed a defensive response.
0: What sorts of advice to the issue of co-parenting apart and sometimes breakups are volatile and sometimes even abusive and even physically violent? So what are your suggestions to those parents?
3: Well, if a child or a parent is being physically or emotionally abused, the situation has to change. Safety first. So as heartbreaking as it can be to create a separation, until children and adults are safe, you can't sort of cross your fingers and hope that things change. I have worked with families where one co-parent, whether they're in the same house or more commonly not in the same house any longer, is arrogant, lacking in empathy, entitled, self-absorbed, prone to drama, very difficult in other words. And even in those circumstances, If there is nothing overtly harmful to the child, it is a very difficult path to walk, but we still work with those primary parents to find a way to forge a working relationship with that difficult co-parent. And there are ways to do that. You, you treat that co-parent who might be difficult in a very businesslike way. You don't lecture or scold or shame because those are very hot buttons and you're going to get drama or anger or defensiveness. So you tread very gently, but again, you put the children's interests first and and those children still love their father or mother, even if that parent is very, very difficult to work with. What happens when a new partner comes into the picture, Um, either
0: in your house or the other house? Um, Are there suggestions about how to make that a smooth transition?
3: My biggest piece of advice on that topic is to go very slowly and have very low expectations for a while. Don't expect this new partner to instantly bond with your kids or to be on the same page with you or have the same feelings of love and affection. And that new partner should also understand that They should move slowly. But if it's a serious relationship and there will be a long term um, relationship between that new partner and the children, that they think of themselves more initially as an an uncle or an aunt, that they're there to be a friendly uh, presence, you know, grown up presence, but that they don't parent or discipline the child, that that's reserved for the biological parent, and that they don't. you know, try and control the mother or father of the children, but rather, you know, they, they might, if they have a different opinion about how the ch- children are being raised, that that happens privately and not in front of the kids. And that they move very, very slowly, looking for ways to bond with the children naturally, maybe a shared interest or taking interest in the child's interests, sort of allowing a lot of space, a lot of room for the children to kind of make that adjustment. And then, of course, for the biological parent in that partnership, to allow those kids to vent, to express what it feels like, maybe they're going to say even more than they have, I really miss mommy or I really miss daddy, and that we don't try and shut them down when they say things that we wish they didn't feel.
0: I, I love all those suggestions. Um, My good man, Steve, that turned up in my life, I love the way that sometimes he would remind my sons to ring their dad to tell them about some news that they'd brought home from school because he really respected that he was their dad and, and um, it just, it did, it made that transition um, a whole lot easier to know that he was always still going to be respected as that.
1: I'm a dad with four kids, two are biologically mine, but there is no distinction between the four of them over time about their being my kids, none at all.
0: We haven't had many challenges as far as co-parenting. My now husband, my first husband and I did, we had very different ideas of parenting. Um, Thus, when my son was two years old, I said, this is not going to work, you know, and off I went and became a single mother, discovered my now husband. We have the same mindset of parenting. We don't really fight
2: about or have disagreements at all about how to raise the kids. My partner has two boys who are 11 and nine. Yeah, there definitely have been challenges that we've all been trying to navigate together, obviously, with the boy's best interests. For me personally, being the step parent, um, my biggest challenge is knowing. Uh, when to step in and when to stay out of things. She definitely tends to take a soft approach to discipline, whereas I am probably more of a disciplinarian and a little bit more on the strict side of things.
0: What about the extended family and grandparents? Um, How do we talk to our own parents about the sorts of choices that are made when mum and dad aren't there and the grandparents may be there?
3: Ah, this is such a great question, and it can be maddening for parents when their parents, the grandparents of their children, don't agree or cooperate with the routines and the rules that they've tried to institute in their primary house. I encourage parents to be flexible with the grandparents and how they comply or stick to the rules and routines. Some are going to do it very religiously, and some are going to be a little bit loose about it. Now, if the grandparents are really doing things that you find to be not in the best interest of your kid, to be harmful in any way, then that's another matter. Yeah, it needs to be a really good conversation because one of the things I
0: hear is that they really want to be able to spoil their grandchildren, but there is a point where that's far too much. So it can also lead to tension. And especially if that relationship may be a little bit strained anyway. In some families, the grandparents are cut out altogether. What's the impact on the kids when there are kind of hang-ups in the relationship
3: with the grandparents? Parents are wise to not use their children to punish their own parents, the grandparents, by depriving the contact between the grandparent and the grandchild of course, if the grandparent is a, is a very, very negative influence, then the children are better served. But I always encourage parents to do what they can to reconcile, and grandparents. Listen to each other, respect each other, try their best to heal whatever the rift is. Because in an ideal world, children really thrive when they have that second generation up to be part of their lives.
0: So if you could give advice to a couple who, and obviously I've been a marriage celebrant and I've married over a thousand people, what advice would you give them in terms of beginning the parenting journey?
3: Uh, have fun with it. You know, <laughs> be prepared for a big, <laughs> joyful, crazy <laughs> adventure. Keep a light heart, a light touch, and hold on to your partner, you know, You can grow so much as a couple if you're kind and accepting toward one another through the ups and downs of raising children. I think that the biggest piece of advice would be lower your expectations, keep your mind open. And everybody's doing the best they can. Ah, yeah.
1: It's crucial that all the kids really believe that you think of them all as your kid That you love them all. The love that you get from the kids stops you in your tracks sometimes, and you realise how much they depend upon you being dad.
2: On the day that she graduated year 12, we actually high fived each other because we went, We did it. We actually did it. She's now a really incredibly well rounded person. And I think that she had to learn to be like that going between the two houses, having to negotiate two different families.
1: I miss having my son. Uh, but at the same time, I understand, as hard as that is, I'd never want him more. I'd never, I wa- I'd never want soul custody. And he has a better relationship with me and a better relationship with uh, with his mum too.
0: Whatever your circumstances, whoever you are parenting with, I hope you've gleaned some useful tips from Susan Stiffelman. When you raise a child, one of your biggest jobs is to advocate for their needs and for what's best for our children. So if a co-parent isn't doing it the way you like to do it, does it really matter in the long term? If it's not harmful to your child and your child's not struggling, maybe save your breath for a really important parenting challenges because, trust me, there are some really big challenges that are way more important than having things done the way you like them done. However, if they are parenting in a way that is potentially harmful and your child is displaying distress, well, we need to ask to have a chat in an unthreatening way. No one likes to be criticised or made to feel they're wrong. And I do believe most parents do have no intention to do harm. And if you do share custody with someone, aim to look at what's best for your children rather than what's best for you or the other person. Kids tell us all the time that the hardest thing they have to deal with is when their parents fight in front of them or say mean things about each other. Your kids love you both. Try to be decent and respectful to each other. If you have friends who struggle with co-parenting, tell them to listen to this podcast. Maybe tell them about some of our other awesome episodes too, like the last one on Soul Parenting or last season's episodes about helping your kids make friends and the one about helping them understand their anxiety. That was a goodie and one of my faves. If there's nothing to fight or flee, that neurochemical fuel builds up and that's why we feel the way we do when we have anxiety. So I think it's really important for kids and parents to understand that all of those physical symptoms that you get, so sick tummy, jittery muscles, clammy hands, sore head, all of those things are there for a really good reason and it actually means your brain and your body is doing exactly what it's meant to do, but it feels bad. And it's like it's a false alarm, you know, that's what the amygdala does. So it's not a broken brain, it's an overprotective brain. You and your friends can get the whole back catalogue by subscribing to Parental as Anything on the ABC Listen app or on free podcasting apps like Apple and Google. Next time... How often do you feel like your house has become a farmyard? It's probably because your kids are either roosters or lambs.
2: I like to say that my older two, they're roosters but it's balanced with compliance. My younger one, different ball game.
1: While our lamb boy is quite social, fun, loving and chatty, he's extremely sensitive to the needs of others and his own needs. He empathises with anyone he sees struggling, no matter how minor the struggle may seem.
2: So how do we bring out the strength of the rooster and the strength of the lamb by allowing them to actually reach their full potential as individuals as well as siblings?
0: Children's temperaments sit on a spectrum that I like to call the rooster and lamb continuum. So I'll talk you through what it means and how to manage your noisy roosters and those sensitive lambs. That's next... I'm parental as anything with me, Maggie Dent.